This is Talking Devils, your favourite Manchester United podcast, brought to you in association with Classic Football Shirts, currently selling classic and clearance lines with products from £5 upwards, so there's something for everyone. Shops in Manchester and London, and listeners to this podcast can order online with a discount of TOTD10 at checkout. I'm Wayne Barton, joined as usual by Manchester United hero Paul Parker. How are you doing, Paul? I'm fine, thank you, Wayne. Also joined by a special guest this week, football writer for The Guardian and author of the new book, The Red Apprentice, a look at Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's reign at Manchester United and pop biography too, Jamie Jackson. How are you doing, Jamie? I'm very good, thank you, Wayne. Very good. Before we begin, a little bit of sad news. Um, the journalist Kevin McCarra passed away this weekend. Um, there are some wonderful tributes to him you can find, one from Philippe Claire. I never had the fortune of, of conversing with Kevin or having him help me um, at all, but the way he wrote was inspirational and influential. He struck that human tone, um, which many writers tried to find, but he did it expertly and in a sort of pioneering sense, really, um, crossing that bound, that bridge from sports writing to human writing. Um, I felt it appropriate to mention Kevin because he does, in fact, have a role in United history. It was his mishearing of a Fergie phrase in a news conference. Um, Fergie said it's squeeze your bum time, and that infamously became squeaky bum time. Um, of course, Kevin was much more than the creator of a catchphrase. He was a wonderful writer and one we were blessed to have uh, choose writing as his vocation. Um, also on that note, another tremendously sad thing from this weekend, um, former Manchester City Academy player Jeremy Whitson, just 17, took his own life. Um, so sad, so tragic. Our, our thoughts are with his family. It's just, I can't believe like such a desperately sad weekend uh, for, for news like that. Um, Okay, on to the football. Um, Manchester United, and let's start with the positive, really, because it's been a bit mixed week as usual. Um, the highs and lows, in in some respects, of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's entire reign encapsulated, as, as they usually are in some form or another. Um, started in Paris with a 2 1 win. Uh, Paul, we've spoken before about Ole being at his best when he sets up tactically and gives instruction rather than just trusting the players to play their game. Big plus points all round for, for the game in Paris. Uh, defensive performances were great. Twan Zabi was outstanding. United controlled the game as well, which I wasn't expecting, and they never looked nervous. Um, you can see the potential in the team. If you, if you look at that side and you think a different midfielder who could control the game, a different striker who was perhaps a little bit more clinical than Rashford. But these are minor grumbles when you can see how we won the game. And you saw Rashford came good at the end with that magnificent shot. Um Interesting comparison, Paul, because 18 months on from winning in Paris with a little bit more luck than what we did last week, I felt like this was actually an indication of how we might be able to move uh, forward, you know, building with that team if we get the right players. Um, yes, I, I can see where you're going. I see where you're going. I look at it and that um, when it played against PSG, it was a little bit, it was about destroying more than anything as well. There was that little bit of an edge to where the way that he didn't want to get beat. But I think because PSG have maybe overloaded with too many wannabe superstars, they didn't actually, they had individuals out there rather than a team. And I think if we look at the game at the weekend and say when you, you set up and then you come up against a team who has got a little bit more structure to it than Chelsea, than what PSG, then you do look at it a little bit differently. My, that's my opinion, the way I looked at that game against PSG. I just had always had that feeling that United were going to get something. Just, uh, just the arrogance of PSG in that final, the way they were in a semi-final of last season's Champions League. And then when you've got a team with someone like Neymar in it, who, for me, kill, would kill any team. He'll kill the structure of any team because of the way he is as a person. I've always felt that United were going to get something against PSG. Off the back of what they'd done there last season as well, there was always that belief that they could go and do it again within the team. So, you know, Oli still has, he's, he's got results, but he still has big problems, selection problems, because there's lots of questions being asked on, a, on about a certain individual not playing. And obviously there's... Well, there's, there's a lot of tittle tattle going around, and I, I think it needs it needs to be dealt with. Mm. What do you think of the um, you know the eleven that did play and the performance that they put on? Um, obviously, it was a reactive performance. It wasn't one that was saying we're going to take on Paris, but I think it was almost like a little bit of a surprise to those players, wasn't it? Like that 
you've got the imbalance. I know Neymar, like you said, he's hit and miss sometimes, but he's one of their most talented players, like like Mbappe. But then you've got the imbalance of how poor they were defensively. And maybe after about ten minutes, this United team were thinking, do you know what? They're actually there to be getting, uh, there to be got at. Um, and it, I just came away from that thinking, do you know? I know. Yes, he was. He sort of take it with a pinch of salt sometimes because of how hit and miss Paris can be but the fact that they did get to the Champions League final and the fact that United were in control of that game um, well you know I'm I always trying to be glass or full with this poll but um, do you think it's something was one uh, like a one-off game or something that you could look at building on uh, moving forward I, I think it's a I think you have to look at it as a one-off game I don't think you can bounce too much off of it because of what football's about at this moment in time, in my, in my opinion. I want to come out and say it's wonderful. You've got, gone there to Paris, two years on the bounce, won, gone and won there, got results there, come back feeling on the high. But every game you go into now, it's very difficult to build anything, to get any kind of momentum at this moment in time, in all levels. At, at this moment in time, I think if we was to go out and ask everybody, if you could find 10 people, football mad people, and say to them, who's going to win a Champions League? Nine of them at least would say Bayern Munich. Because everyone else you look at, they're just in and out. There's no consistency at all with any team in European football except Bayern Munich. And it's not just about their winning, it's the manner in which they're winning. I think everyone saw that in the way they destroyed their league after lockdown and what they'd done in the Champions League. They were clinical, efficient, but they were just... And they had that little bit of guile and improvisation, which was good to watch. No one else at this moment are as good as Bayern Munich in European football. But you look at every other team, every other team are vulnerable. All the top sides have got issues. They've got absolute issues going on. They're They're just not clicking Barcelona, getting beaten at home by Real Madrid, but Real Madrid were awful in their previous games. So what are, what are Barcelona like at this moment in time? They had problems leading up to the season starting as well. We've got United problems. We, we So many teams in our league are all over the place. We had Everton going great guns, and they were awful yesterday. Mm. Woeful. So I think you, I don't think you... Again, I'm being a sceptic, negative, whatever... I'm just taking every game, as the saying goes, one at a time. I'm doing, I'm doing my predictions. I do it every, every weekend or every Premier League game. And the people who are winning each week are winning with sixes and sevens. The previous seasons, you have to, if you were going to win it, you had to hit anything from 12 to 21. Yeah. So no, no one knows what's going on, Wayne. Football at the moment is seriously, seriously so unpredictable because you do not know what individual or what team is going to turn up at weekends. We'll come to Jamie for the answer then. Um. <laughs> well, if, he, if, he's got, if he's got the answer, he can do mine this weekend. Um, you know what, Jamie? Um, Paul, I asked Paul there, you know, is it a stay of execute? Well, I asked him if it's something bigger to build upon, but obviously there's been a few bumps in the road, to put it mildly, for Oli this season. Um, after Spurs, it looked like his job might be at risk with a few bad results. With looking at the um, looking at the fixture list, the way that he's fallen for United. Um, so a win like the one at Paris, is it a stay of execution, or, or do you think it could be something that um, he could build upon? Well, I mean... You know, whatever, whatever this question comes up. Um, so yeah, as you mentioned, after the six-one uh, absolute hammering, which I, I, I was at, you know, reported on it. You know, that 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 does does become the issue. His job. Two two reasons why. Because he, he's had a bit of time now, and it has been up and down. You know, turbulent is my word for it. And secondly, because it's Manchester United, and it, you know, you don't need me to tell you two gentlemen. It's an absolute massive deal. The soap opera. Uh, in football, certainly in our country, if not, you know, Europe-wide, it's one of them anyway, Europe-wide. But, you know, the the answer there from people at the club was absolutely no way. The Pochettino thing, I'm told all the time, uh, you know, from people who should know, uh, that that they absolutely not. And the reason for that is, is I think because of the time they've invested now, that's actually, you know, that is an investment. So to sort of, just to, not throw it away, but to, to to go against that, or to say, right, well, you know, we're ending him as the manager... Having invested so much time and trust, sort of after a result like Spurs, um, you know, maybe a couple of bad ones. Well, you know, what what would be the point in all that investment? But you do make a good point, and it's interesting because with regard to the fixtures he then had coming up, and so it's interesting that he has bounced back and won two of them and, and drawn 
with Chelsea, which, listen, that was an awful, well, not awful, but it wasn't a great game. But as Paul's saying, you know, I, I'm at the Leipzig game on, on Wednesday, the Champions League game. You just don't know what United stroke, yeah, what, what, you know, what, what sort of team's going to turn up. They could lose that, they could win 3-0. But what I did think about PSG was it was a far more mature performance than the, the first one, which I happened to be at as well. When, you know, the, one, um, was it the, the last 16, yeah. yeah. When, they, when they got through on away goals. Um, I, I just felt like, actually, if you've just been hammered sort of 6-1 then you're beating Newcastle 4-1 and you're going there, that was a really... You know, I, I, I would definitely be glass half full on that. But, you know, he has got issues. I think the defence is the big one. Um, Turner's Abe is interesting because ha- how well did he play? Can he actually stay fit? Because it looks to me if he, if he could stay fit, he could actually be better, the best one there. You know, far better than Maguire, who I think has got question marks over. Mm. But I don't think he'll ever drop him unless he absolutely has to. But, you know, Paul kind of sums it up how I think it's a bit of a, a continual work in progress. But, you know, I, I would remind p- people, or maybe myself even, that Ferguson took, what, seven years to win a first title? Was it four to win a cup? first cup I'm not, so it, these things do take time um, and I would be excited if you look at the squad he's got Solskjaer and this might be a mark against him because why is he doing better but if you actually look at the squad there's some very good players in there I'm not just talking 1-11 to 11. and just my last point on this because I am hogging the conversation a bit, no, much, it's fine. a bit too much on Van der Beek you know, people say oh what's happened to him he's, you know, he's a £35 million player he's, he's, he's not he's not played but I think he's been involved in every game as a sub apart from uh, the one uh, the, the draw with Chelsea and I kind of like the idea that a £35 million midfielder can't get into the team because he thinks you know he's got players who, who are better at the moment or more deserving so he's gone back to Fred Mc, and McTominay as players who did well for him last season when he's dropping Pogba uh, and Matic and they've, they've done a job for him you know so I don't think it's too bad at the moment but you know it could change again on Wednesday Oli decided pretty early on, and I think it might have even been Thursday or Friday, that he was going to, it might have even been before Paris, that he was going to go with the same team that defeated Newcastle. On one hand, you could see the sense in it, you know, you reward players for doing well, especially when you pick the team that um, like that as a response to a heavy defeat like we had against Spurs. For what it's worth, I did feel as if he maybe ought to have thought about Van der Beek um, as he was influential in how the game ended against Newcastle. Um, we'll talk about him in particular a little bit more later. I know you touched on him there, Jamie. Um, but going with the same team, Paul, um, against New, uh, against Chelsea, might have had more luck if Chelsea had been more ambitious, maybe. Um, if, you know, if we didn't have... Well, we didn't have a midfield capable of controlling the pace of the game anyway. Uh, so it became a non-game, really, in the end. I mean, Oli did make changes to win it, but really um, we needed four or five changes instead of the three that he could make. Um, it was bad so where do you sit on who's to blame for the game who has to take responsibility for that one I think if Oli wanted to really win that game and he was braver then he wouldn't have started with Fred and McTominay in midfield yeah. it's all well and good saying after the, after the horses bolted that you made substitutions to try and win it but it's too late it's trying to get people into the rhythm of the game Pogba's not is not, is not an impact player mm. He needs time to build into it. Sometimes he's started games and he's never got he's never got into it. He's just gone around and it's like it's like the person chasing the last bus. He's never going to make it. That's the way that's the way he is. And and it's kind of oh well, there we are. That hasn't happened and it doesn't seem to hurt him. But I, when, the moment I saw that team, I kind of went oof. And that team that that was a team playing against Newcastle as well. And even then I went oof because it was a midfield with there was nothing there. I would, I would. There was nothing there, creativ- creativity-wise, because you would have got more in a kindergarten mm. than what you got from there. You, I, I, I like the work ethic of of Fred. I like Fred. I think when Fred plays with better players around him, Fred looks a good player. Fred has got good pedigree after Shakhtar Donetsk. He's used to playing at a high tempo. You see the way he plays. The problem is if he gets in there and he isn't those kind of players around him, he struggles because he's playing a higher tempo. Scott McTominay, and I keep saying about Scott McTominay, if United are going to achieve and become what they were or what they want to be and what they believe or where they believe they should be, Scott, Scott McTominay is not in that 11. Hmm. It, it, doesn't, it, it doesn't work that way. Very one pace. His mind is set on trying to hurt people. He's always, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, kiss the badge. 
Armstrong, and, and that's the way he wants to play. That cost him an injury against Newcastle last season. He was out for a while after that. So I think somehow Oli might have to change his formation. He might have to be cruel to be kind. And he's, he's got the best person who he, he's, who he, who he looks up to to, 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 um, to talk about that because as far as anything, Sir Alex Ferguson, one of the things written somewhere and it's maybe shaded out a bit, have no sentiment. Yeah. And he's got to start being that way about how he's going to set his team out and what he's going to do. He can't, he needs at this moment in time, the way this football's going, because everyone keeps wanting to say, oh, so many games are getting tired. They're footballers. They're not going to work at six in the morning on a line in, in, a, in, a, in, a, um, in a factory that produces cars. They're going to play something they love. So you try and get consistency in the team you're picking and try and get some flow and get an idea, pattern to play. They don't ever get it. One minute they're playing a four at the back and it's awful. Then they go to a five with different personnel. Then they go back. Look at what you got. What is going to be the best three you're going to play? Just a poll, sorry to, to interrupt, but you know you said about sentiment and everything like that. Mm. Do you not think that maybe the Chelsea game was an example of that? Because he, he sort of said, yeah, I know I've got Pogba, I've got Van der Beek, I've got Greenwood back, I've got Cavani re- available, but I'm still going to stick with that team. Yeah, and yeah. I'm, not, I'm not saying that obviously he's showing faith and sentiment in the team that beat Newcastle, but maybe he was saying to those players that we dropped for that game, you know, he's, they've now earned their place and you've got to fight to get yeah, your way back in. Yeah, that, that's, that works sometimes, but you have to look what's in front of you and say to yourself, you're playing at home, you've got a big game at home, yeah. you're looking for those big, because um, the boss, when he got his big players, when it comes to big games, if those players, big players didn't perform, he would, he would go mad because that's what they're there for. Mm. They play in the big games, the games that are on an edge and you want to win them and you need those players to go out there and do enough to get you over the line. You play those big players. Not to get through it. Yes, they've done great at Newcastle against a poor, poor team that didn't want to attack. They didn't want to attack Newcastle. I saw them at Spurs before. Not bothered. Happy to go nil-nil. They had one shot against Spurs, the penalty. They played against Manchester, and the game was going in that same way. The scoreline flattered United, but it was good that the goals, they scored great goals, great movement, I loved it. I I really enjoyed watching Mata and Fernandes play together. And then then when van der Beek come on, it got even better. Great on the eye, he thinks of positive. But then he goes back again, and and he needs... He needs as much as those players. They got one. Those players know they're at Manchester United, and they'd accept it now. If they were somewhere else, they might be. They maybe be a bit different. But when you're at United, you accept that you're in favour, and, and someone else coming. You look and you go, well, he did cost that, and he is this, and and you go along with it until such time he's not doing his job. But there was like players to go and use. Could you imagine if Chelsea had turned and all of a sudden they see Cavani? Yeah. See Cavani there, you know, third, fourth top goal scorer. In, um, in Europe or something like that or his record he's got a great goal scoring record you think to yourself okay he hasn't played for five six months but still opportunity comes along he's, he's, he's going to get there it might be a little bit ring but he's, he's going to get on the, you know you saw it the other, when he flipped one round the corner when he come on it's still there and, and he's sitting there now can you imagine how that would, can you imagine Cavani's on and he gets up against Zuma yeah. You, you know, you go, there we are. And all of a sudden, you're playing in the Manchester United teams. It's like me, I go out there, and all of a sudden, the, the boss would pick a team, and all of a sudden, he leaves out Sparky, and he leaves out Eric, and he does, and he does all that. And I'm sitting, I'm kind of going, blimmin' now, okay, we're better than this team, but I'll tell you what, I feel better with those players to go and win the game, get control of the game, and then take them off. Yeah. And the, it, the difference it, is, though, Paul, is that, um, sorry to interrupt again, but. Um, we don't have a Mark Hughes or Eric Cantona. No, no, but I still, I'm, I didn't. I'm, I'm just looking at those kind yeah. of things, and yeah. that Chelsea game was the ideal game to get to your best, your top players on there because they would rise to the occasion of a big game. A game means a lot, even though there weren't the fans in there to even to make to, to really add to it, as those Chelsea games always have done since since they were winning Premier League titles. But that was taken away by the team. It, it was mundane, and the game the game was that. The game was that. The game that, that that could have been anybody playing. Anybody playing that game. That wasn't two of the biggest sides in English football playing now. That was yeah. that was a game brought down. Two very inexperienced managers were managing those two top teams. Both of them were scared to lose. Both of them are, are deemed under pressure for their jobs. 
Yeah. It's as simple as that. And that's the way that game is. Frank has not knitted that team together. He's gone and brought a load of, you know, good, good name players, great names. But at the moment in time, those square pegs are going into round holes. Yeah. Jamie, it pulls it on some good points there. Um, the league started in entertaining fashion. United versus Chelsea was once the benchmark of quality. You could even argue that when it comes to Premier League history, at its absolute best, United versus Chelsea from, let's say, 2007 to 2011 was perhaps the pinnacle of competition in, in the league in terms of quality. This past weekend, well, let's just say it's <laughs> therefore one of the worst games in recent years. Um, very long quality. Um, two managers... I don't know where I stand with this, so I'd get, uh, be interested in getting your opinion on it. And obviously, you've got Lampard who set up, um, he, and his changes were like for like as well. So I'm not saying that he didn't try and win the game, but I think he was sort of hoping that United would open up and come to them. But then United were a little bit pragmatic to start with, and even when they made the changes to try and win the game, they couldn't get going. Um, what, what did you make of that? I mean, you, you did mention it was a poor game, but let, let's talk about it in respect to the comparison of sort of 10 years ago. I mean, it's hard to believe that the same clubs, aren't they? Well, yeah, I think you characterise it very well. Um, you know, that, that sort of era you're talking about, your sort of United's front line would have been, what, Tevez, Ronaldo, Rooney. Uh, yeah. You know, Berbatov probably could get in the side, or, you know, he, he was also there, and, you know, you could go through... Know, Chelsea as well with with Drogba and Lampard and his pomp. I mean, it was high quality. I mean, the frustrating thing I think for United really is they have lost two games in the Premier League, which if they'd won or if they'd even won one out of those, they'd be on ten points. Inverted commas, only three points behind the lead because it is a topsy-turvy league. As Paul basically was saying at the start, you know about how it's all over the place. It's chaotic, and so that game on Saturday. Again, it's a very good point about Cavani and also Van der Beek. At least put one of your new boys in mm. from the start because how hungry are they going to be? You know their quality. Cavani has got a ridiculous goal scoring record, as Paul mentioned. Um, he's a you know he's thirty three, but he's not. You know he's a very. He reminds me a little bit of a Bri- Ibrahimovic when he came. Not, I'm not saying mm. they're the same strikers, but in terms of where they're at in their careers, I think yeah. he's maybe thirty four or thirty five. But Crumbs. Ibrahimovic was still bang on it. You know, he's got all those goals, 20, I think high, high 20s before he unfortunately got injured. And Cavani, you know he's going to score goals. There's no way he's not. You know, he was, he'd been part of that front line with, with Suarez um, uh, for Uruguay, uh, which has been you know, very good. Won the, uh, the Copa Libertadores, is it? Or Copa America. Um, done very well at the World Cup. Blah, 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 blah. And so, I don't know really. I don't understand why... He, I mean, maybe he felt it was a game too soon for Cavani to start, although he did say in the build-up that Cavani had basically said, no thank you to PSG, I want to tick all my boxes. He wanted to tick all his boxes with Solskjaer's phrase, so therefore you'd think he would have done, um, you know, for this game, Chelsea. Or Van der Beek, I mean, you know, I think you're going to see one or both maybe start against Leipzig. And the other interesting one, which has kind of hurt United a bit, is Greenwood. Um... You know, not not being fit enough to sort of start the last two or three games because, you know, he was a massive plus and factor of regarding why United did so well. You know, post the lockdown, mm. um, I can't remember how many of the seventeen he scored for United last season. He got them, but he got you know it was a clutch of them, and he just he reminds me a bit of Phil Foden in, in, in the same in, in, in this respect, which is the game to those two players comes seems to come really easy. It's just like they're on a different plane. You yeah. know, the way in which the, the game is for them. And I think Greenwood, maybe that's a big statement to make, but I see Foden all the time, and it's like he's just different class. He really is. And Greenwood's like that as well. He just, you know... So what I'm, what I'm getting to say is, hopefully for United, Greenwood will, will um, you know, begin starting. I'm not sure, and I keep on thinking this, and then I'm proven wrong. I was going to say, I'm not sure we'll see Dan James start another Premier League game for a little while, but at least... <laughs> He, start, he started this one, and I'm going to be polite because he's obviously a top professional to be at United, but I don't think he's quite good enough for the starting eleven or even squad. Again, Paul would have more expert view on that than me, but you know, I just look at him and I think Crumbs, every time the ball goes to him, gents, he seems to lose it either in this first touch or when he goes on a run. Yeah. And the difference between him and Matter in class with regard to those two things, Matter always makes the right decisions, you know, his touch is sublime, he's, he's still a superb 
football that matter. You can have a different conversation about whether the way he plays fits into a United side, but I think he deserves to start ahead of James. I mean, I know they both did in this game, um, but you understand the point I'm making yeah, yeah. Um, about, you know, about, about uh, James and matter. So, yeah, I mean, this game, it was a nothing game, really. I was a bit surprised. Um, you know, bringing on uh, Greenwood in the 83rd minute, I don't know why he just didn't do it when he sort of brought on Pogba and Cavani, give it a real goal for basically most of the, you know, most of the second half. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, it, that's the thing about Dan James, isn't it? I mean, there was a... I thought he did quite well against Newcastle, so I could see why Ollie picked him again. Um, even though yeah, he just seemed a little bit out of his depth, but there was a moment early in the second half where he got—I think it was the second half—he picked the ball up and he ran at the defence, yeah. and it was almost like, "Oh my God, what am I going to do now?" And in the yeah. end, he yes. didn't make a decision. He just sort of like let let, let the yes. ball go, like he picked he, it out. Yeah, yeah. And um, <laughs> the funny thing about Cavani is that. He, you guys have already said he almost scored with his first touch. Fernandez has a good ball in there, but then you saw him, and I'm like, I'm, I'm hoping that this is going to be something that he um, gets better at doing because he's obviously got the experience and he's going to have to learn quickly. He was making all these clever runs whenever Fred or McTominay got the ball. <laughs> like, no, mate, you're at the wrong club if you think that those kind of balls are going to be coming in. Um, well, but, that's what I'm saying. So United, for United, for what the club's about, it should not have two players, two holding players in there. Yeah. It, sh- it shouldn't do it. Agreed. It shouldn't. Yeah, Teams that play against Manchester United will give would would give Manchester United respect by having two there. I don't think they do. Teams don't bother now because they because because yeah. United haven't got that about them. It doesn't bother them to have two hold holding players. It, for me, it doesn't make any sense at all. And I'll say it again, and I've said it a thousand times, maybe to you, Wayne, or every time people talk to me and I talk about midfield players, and I always say that lucky enough I played with three maybe of the, the greatest midfield players that have been seen in English football in recent years, and that's Ince, Keane and Robson, three of them, and. I could not actually tell you exactly what their positions are in midfield. Everybody's labelled now defensive, holding. They were, as the saying goes, a cliche, box to box. They wanted to attack. They wanted to score goals. They wanted to make goals. But they wanted to make sure that goals weren't scored from their areas. They would, they would protect Brucey and Pally. They would, they would nick balls off the front of centre forwards. They would stop the ball getting there. They weren't labelled as what players are today because they could run. They had energy. They were fit. And people keep telling me that players are fitter today. What a load of rubbish. If they were fitter today, they could play every game, as those players did. Obviously, Brian Robson tried his best to, but he, kept, he, he made too many daft tackles and got himself injured all the time. Yeah. But, the, but those two could. So Manchester United never played anything like that under Sir Alex with holding players. They had players who could attack. They wouldn't just have a midfield player in there whose only job was to defend and break play up and go and suddenly, when I look at it, McTominay's getting the ball in a centre-half position. Why? You've got centre-halves who can bring the ball out. It's, what's, what's happening? It's so interesting. And, I mean, yeah, it's a point that we've returned, we can return to now and, and we've talked about in the past. I think, I could be wrong on, on this, but there was a, a generation of midfielders who you didn't reduce by sort of limiting what they could and couldn't do. But then Makaleli came along and sort of specialised in this area and now all of a sudden everyone's got to have like a specialist role mm. instead of being able to do everything. Um, we've obviously got two players like that on our books at the moment, Pogba and Van der Beek. Um, but, and both of them at the moment, they're having that conversation about whether or not they should be in the team. You've got Pogba, obviously gradual integration and whoever really knows what's going on with that. Um, Van der Beek, it's more topical because it's more confusing considering that we've just signed him. Um, it's too early to make any definite conclusions, but also long enough now that we've had him to ask the question of what's going on. Um, Jamie, I'll come to you first on this one. You know, we saw something a couple of years ago, something similar a couple of years ago with Mourinho when he signed Fred. He signed him and didn't play him, and it seemed obvious that the reason why he did that was because he wanted a defender and a winger, and he didn't get them, so he was throwing his toys out of the pram. I'm not saying that all he's doing that. In fact, I can't imagine that he's doing that because he's not that kind of uh, man or manager. There is the idea that he's been 
brought in as a backup to Fernandez, but we can see, we have seen that Van der Beek, Mata, and Fernandez on the pitch together looks like our best combination. What do you think the deal is with uh, Van der Beek and why he's not uh, playing? Yeah, what I think is he's been brought in because they think Popper's probably going to go. Um, I, you know, I mean, they've triggered his extra year, but I don't, I don't see him after that. You know, I think he's getting sold soon, and he probably would have done uh, this this last summer window. It's two reasons kind of related. Obviously, the COVID thing affected the market, and that then meant that no one really had the money regarding the, you know the price that we want for Popper. Um, and it's a, but, but to sort of throw a spanner in the works of that theory is he's dropped Pogba and Van der Beek hasn't started but I yeah. honestly see think that's the reason yeah um, I mean it was an odd signing I'll tell, tell you why you don't have to be a rocket scientist to, to sort of have a theory right it wasn't the position they needed really yeah. you know I mean, you could say oh yeah it's great to have loads of really brilliant midfielders or you know a stockpile but you needed a centre back or two to be honest yeah um, and so he comes along and I remember asking him you know, why have you signed him better oh we need more goals from midfield fair enough answer good answer because actually you take away Fernandez's whatever it was was it 11 or 12 and the rest of them between them couldn't get up to about combined didn't have more than 6 or 7 but he hasn't played him really I mean he, I think he has scored one was it in the EFL uh, was it in the league game maybe he lost against Palace wasn't yeah, it yeah. Um, but it is a bit of an odd I mean I don't I don't you know, I've been asked a couple of times, as many you two gentlemen have, has it was he signed against his will as in was it a Woodward signing, you know, going over his head. I don't believe that at all. I just I just don't see that uh, happening at, at all. he does have a veto or a sort of final say so as I think he should have as the manager. Obviously it's not just his decision, he takes uh, briefings, but I I don't subscribe to that one. And also there's no way he wouldn't play him and I know you weren't saying this but you're just sort of raising a theory, there's no way he wouldn't play him it, it, you know, as a sort of statement because he, he, his position is too tenuous to be able yeah. to play games. It's not Ferguson, is he? You know, the, the great almighty who earned the right basically to do whatever he liked, when he liked. Um, so it is a bit of an odd one. I think the team now, need, you know, the play needs freshening up. I think that's what we're sort of discussing with all these points. You know, United look already. I mean, I did a game yesterday. It was Wolves-Newcastle. And it looked like, it's only Premier League game number six for, for each team, but it looked like a, a midwinter slog. You know, in the depths of a, of a <laughs> campaign, Paul, you know all about those games. Yeah. Um, so you know, and I think United have got a bit of that as well. So I think they need to freshen up, and that maybe then they'll bring these players in. You know, Greenwood, Van der Beek, Cavani. You'll get a real shot in the arm. You can say, okay, that's the beauty of having a, a, a strong squad. But you know, he's got to do it really quite soon. Yeah, Paul, what do you think about that? I mean, looking at Paris, you could say that the five-man defence was the way to go forward, but that limits the number of players you can play in midfield. Uh, which is already proving to be a bit of a difficult juggling act, and obviously up front as well. I think we can say from what we've seen, the sort of four-three-three or four-two-three-one isn't an automatic go-to for every game because we just don't have the balance on either side for that. Do you think that that more than the it's the shape of the team rather than the the personnel that's going to be the biggest immediate challenge for Ollie in the next few weeks? Yeah, I, w- I would actually agree with that. It is that's, that is going to be the key in what he does and. It seems like these Ollie's his strength has been, except for one game which I was at, um, three at the back has been the strength of Manchester Ollie's best results and performances. To be honest, except for at the Emirates where they were very very poor um, last season. But it's about what who is going to play two ends. Ab I didn't actually see that game, see all of the game against Paris. But everyone you know everyone is like named in straight away, yeah. and then. And then you've got to decide who are going to be the other two two with him. Everyone talks about um, the, the um, Telles. He come in and done really well, yeah. but suddenly he doesn't. The next one, he comes in and does well. Luke Shaw looks more comfortable as a left of left as a centre half. Yeah. In the three, he needs that three there. He needs someone. He needs that little bit assurance because at the end of the day, it does him a favour. He hasn't got to run around as much. That makes a big, big difference. But if you're going to really compete and do it, Luke Shaw doesn't really even fit into there because he still lacks that pace. You wonder if defensively, his positional sense, is he still, would he be better up against somebody or is, is he okay marking space? You know, being in areas where there's not a man there, I think he struggles because he just doesn't sense danger. So, Ollie does need to know what he wants to do. I think United's strength has always got to be four at the back but he's got to figure out what is his best four. And if his best four does not does not have Luke Shaw 
and Harry Maguire in it, then he's going to have to be that way and accept what goes with it. Frank Lampard made a big decision. I'm sure he got, he got the backing of the board. He dropped Kepa, 70-odd million pounds, and that was a big decision. Frank couldn't do that without actually getting permission for it because the, the, because the loss they would have made on that investment and that money. That's dead now. That's dead. The only way they're going to get him out is by seriously cutting the price, which they won't do, or just shipping him out on loan, and hopefully they can get majority of his wages paid. But that's a loss. But that's to do. He's got to look at that one. Is Tuanze going to be able to work with Harry Maguire when he goes on one of those silly kind of Benny Hill runs with the ball at his feet, <laughs> which looks absolutely embarrassing? I, I don't. I really, I don't know. Um, I don't know how everyone keeps telling me Harry Maguire is good on the ball because. He holds on. Centre-halves, you, you look at all the best centre-halves you've seen over the last 15 years, you look at the best ones we're seeing now. I'll tell you what, when have you ever seen Van Dyke run with the ball? He doesn't run with the ball unless he's trying to get out of trouble. It's the only time I've learned that. Only try and beat a man when you, as a last resort as a defender. Kick the ball out for a throw-in, a corner, but do not get caught in possession as the last man. Don't do it. Christ almighty, he's, he's running around with there. It's, 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 it's awful, it looks terrible. Maybe, oh, but he's a footballer. No, he's a runner with the ball. And because he's playing left side, he can't kick with his left foot, so he runs with it until hopefully he can get out of that cul-de-sac and give it to someone. I've seen him put so many people in trouble because he wants to get out of trouble himself. So if it was me, and I'm no, I'm no coach, I'm no manager, I would say Harry Maguire, win it. If you if you if you or if someone gives you the ball, control and pass it to the, pass it as quick as possible, then move. Yeah. Steve Bruce done that. Steve Bruce never dribbled, and I keep bringing up Brucey with you all the time, Wayne. Bruce is one of the best centre halves I ever played with, and he never represented his country. He controlled and he passed and he moved. That's all he done. Pally very similar. When did you ever see Pally who? was what maybe one of the most out, the best athletic centre half I ever played with the man should have been a steeplechase runner. He was an incredible athlete. But I mean you look at he got it, he controlled and he passed. How often did you see Rio Ferdinand dribbling for the sake of it? No. They passed the ball and then they followed the pass to maybe to help out if needed. They didn't just dribble and dribble and dribble. Yet we're talking about Harry Maguire an 80 million centre half and one of the best in the Premier League. Someone really, at this moment in time, I must be asleep. I'm, I'm watching. I'm seeing different football. Someone's going to wake me up, and I and I tell you what, I'm going to be. I'm, football's going to be different, and I and then all of a sudden, I haven't. I didn't actually fall asleep in my house for six months, not going out. <laughs> Hopefully, when you wake up, we can all all get yeah. to the game together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Jamie, let's um, move on to talk about the book that you've got out on Ollie um, for a second. Um, out this week, a biography of Ollie, um, obviously with um, a lot of emphasis on his time as a manager. Um, why? Why did you decide to write the book? And was there anything that you were surprised by when you um, when you came to concluding it? Well. Actually, if you actually look at Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer, there isn't really any in-depth books about him. The, the, you know, there might be some books about, um, yeah, when he was a player or... There was uh, one, I don't know if you saw it, well, I'm sorry to interrupt, but there was the one that was mostly a biography of him as a player and then when he became manager, I think it was released... They they, re, they basically repackaged the book and the guy who wrote it, um, I don't want to throw him under the bus, but they basically did the first six weeks of him in charge at United and then re-released it and that came out last year. But yeah, you're right, there's been a massive absence of anything on him yeah, on, on the market. I mean, um, so, I mean, that, that's, that's a primary reason. Not, but, uh, well, the sort of part of that is, is that his story is actually, you know, in, in my view, a little bit of a fairy tale. Whatever happens mm. at Manchester United as a manager, what a life he's had. I mean, he was he was a, obviously you probably imagine he was a very good kid player, but he was sort of considered too small. He, he overcame that. Um, you know, there's all sorts of different strands to why it is a bit of a fairy tale. But the whole, you know, he, he, how he got to United, obviously what he did there. I mean, he, you know, he ends his first season. You know, you 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 probably already know this, but he, he was considered a reserve by Ferguson. He signed as one of these five players along with Pavorsky, Van der Gaal, Cruyff, and someone else whose name escapes me at the moment. But there was five of them, and it, it really was uh, Ollie Who. I'm pretty sure that not a line was written about him. Um, you know, when he was signed, other than recording that fact. 
uh, until later on in the summer, summer 96. But he ends that first season's top scorer. But just, you know, when he, when he comes back to United as manager, I've got to be honest, I'm thinking, Crumbles, why are Manchester United employing a caretaker manager? Mm. Um, you know, and I always remember when he came to the first press conference at the Jimmy Murphy Centre at Carrington, and he just, it was like, it wasn't like he owned the place, that would make him sound like he was arrogant, but he was, he was completely at home. You know, he could, he, could, he could deal with characters like me, like, you know, like there was no, no tomorrow sort of thing, basically because he is at home, he, you know, he loves the place, he's, he's got a, an absolute, you know, top billing in one of the great stories of, of a, a great club that's full of stories, Manchester United, obviously the 1999 final. Mm. Um, but you know, he was there 14 years, you know, as, as a player and coach. It's a long time. Um, but I was also very interested in, you know, his life as a kid. I'm always really interested, you know, anyone who's famous or, or has had a successful life, what were they like as kids? You know, what, what, what made them tick? Were there any signs there? You know, what, what did friends that they had um, at the time sort of recall about that person? So... Obviously, as a writer and a journalist as well, part of why I kind of like, you know, the stuff I do is is finding out about sort of subjects. And so uh, there was a fascination there. I think I spoke to about 40 or 50 people um, for the book. And I, I think the biggest thing that surprised me or has stayed with me is even... So it took me about a year and a half to write, you know, from when I first... Basically, signed the contract with Simon Schuster just after you beat in Paris... Uh, the first time, then just after you beat Paris the first time, it, it absolutely nosedived, <laughs> and he could have been sacked three or four times to be honest, maybe more. Yeah. You're thinking crumbs. I, I'm not a fan of United or, or, or City, even though I cover the clubs. I, I always describe myself as a lapsed Forest fan, but I have to say I was living. A, I understand now what it's like to actually be a fan of a club that can can win or or, or not win things. You know, like, like United, because I was. Well, the moments when he could be sacked, I was thinking, no, please don't be sacked, that's not going to be great for the book. And yeah. So what I'm trying to say is, if that's, if that's what fans go, because I, I don't really follow Forrest that much, but so if that's what fans go through every match day, I feel for you all, because I, 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 I found it difficult enough in my small sort of sample of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, the biggest, yeah, the biggest thing I wanted to say that, that struck me about him as a person is, when talking to people, whether they be yeah, childhood friends or players he played with at junior level or you know, club level in Norway or he managed at Cardiff, at Mulder in Norway, um, et cetera, et cetera, was they made a lasting impression, sorry, he made a lasting impression on them as a sort of, as a, as a manager and, and a human being. The almost sort of, the phrase I've been using is the almost sort of light up when recalling Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, just the sort of way he was make, making them feel good about themselves, you know, whether it be about the football, you know, sort of um, contribution or just a, a, as a teammate. Uh, and I think that's very important. It's not, it's not the be-all and end-all. You know, um, Paul mentioned tactics before, and I know that's something that's thrown at him a little bit. Um, there's all sorts of things that make a good manager, but I think if, you, if you're not a good man-manager, if your players, they might not like you all the time, but if your players deep down don't really want to do it for you, like they had for Ferguson, like they have for Klopp now, like they have for Mourinho in his pomp, then you're going to get nowhere. And I suppose that's kind of why I mentioned the, the PSG game just gone and the Newcastle one. Um, because I just felt like there was, there was a response there and that to me was kind of uh, reminding me indicative, reminiscent of what I was being told about him all, all through his life. Um, but yeah, it's been interesting because I, I didn't know too much about him myself so as I go along I'm learning about him and I, you know, I always find that sort of quite a nice sort of thing, thing to be involved in really. You also wrote a book on the the crossover reign after Fergie's retirement right, on, yes. on Moyes and Van Gaal. I actually I wrote similar not similar to yours, but um, a book on on that period from thirteen yes. to nineteen, um, the, the entire sort of post Ferguson thing. And when mine was published, Solskjaer had just finished his first six months in the role. Um, I, I think we mo- we both would agree, wouldn't we? That, that well, I, I don't know. I'm putting words into your mouth, but I'm, I'm thinking you've covered United for that amount of time. You've written a book on it, and you've gone over that laboriously. Um, the summer of 2014 probably took the longest time to fix from any problem that United have had, if it, indeed it has been fixed. Uh, you know, with the abrupt change in transfer policy and the loss of all the experience from the playing staff. Um, and ever since then, no matter who's been in the job, and even Van Gaal had this sort yeah. of said about him with Moyes, is that they're fixing the mess that came before. Um, I'm just wondering on your on your thoughts. You've always been in the job for nearly two years. Um, how, how strong do you think the argument is that Ollie's still dealing with what he inherited, and how much of it is has got his fingerprints on it? Yeah, I mean, there the, 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 the has been, and I've still argued there's. 
there, there certainly ha has been or have been a dysfunction there. You know, I know that, 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 that Woodward um, accepts that Moyes... You're talking about the summer of 2013, aren't you, Moyes' summer? The no, I, 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 actually, after Moyes, I think the first one under Van Gaal, when sort of right, the, Woodward... The it, one, yeah. He'd sort of joined... Woodward joined in. He, he was a little bit more comfortable with it. They lost... I mean, Giggs retired. Ferdinand Vidic, Everall out of the door. Do you know what I mean? And just replacing that with the Galacticos, which they, which they did. Mm. Yeah, well, yes. So... For me, the Fellaini summer was, was, was a disaster. Yeah. Uh, and then, yes, you have, you know, do you remember Di Maria joins and he basically wrote a love letter to Real Madrid fans <laughs> and to leave. Yeah. I mean, that, 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 you know, that, that summed the whole thing up. When, when I interviewed Van Gaal, I think it was last year or two years ago, for the Guardian, he basically said, I never wanted, well, what he said about Di Maria was he's about a six, six choice for me. Now, I know they have lists of players, you know, first choice, second choice. But if you're paying them 59-odd million, which is a British record at the the time you'd like to think that that gentleman you know was first choice so yeah it has been dysfunctional um have they sorted it out now i still think it's a work in progress i think i don't know really on the one hand i understand why there's an argument for director of football but for me if you have the right manager yes yeah. and the right ownership then really as ferguson showed and wenger when he was very good you know to the invincibles uh, maybe Klopp now you don't really need a director for because the manager is everything encapsulated and it works because it works because there's success there and you get the right players in to continue the success and you rebuild the side I think the director of football thing you know so, so to take the one at City Bergerestein he is a director of football but it's really Pep you know no yeah. one gets signed without Guardiola and that's how it, as it should be because what's the point in signing a player or two or three or however many if the, if the manager is a little bit ambivalent or he doesn't want that, that player it's just, it is counterproductive uh, but what I'm trying to say is, so they rolled back on that. They, they wanted to have one. It was uh, what turned out to be, just, uh, I think, Mourinho's like his last last season that they decided they wanted to have one. Uh, and then they went again, sort of watered it down. But I think, you know, if you go to the ownership situation, so this thing about Sancho, right? And I get this. Why didn't United, you know, there is an argument. Why didn't they just pay the extra 15, 20 million for Sancho? Was was kind of one of the arguments, you know. That was about the sort of shortfall in valuation between the two clubs well I don't think I think Woodward would have paid that if the Glazers had allowed him I don't think Woodward has got a pot of money and, and he you know he doesn't go out on a limb for, for Solskjaer and, and, he, and I'll give you hard evidence why I believe that that Dortmund had that sort of if you like artificial but they still, they still set a deadline of early August look if we don't get the money we want the offer we want forget about it so that never happened and Woodward then could have sort of walked away from it said right and maybe he should have maybe he should have because maybe they would have gone on to a targets but, but the point I'm trying to make is because Solskjaer wanted him so much he decided to at least leave open the possibility that as it got closer to the deadline you know the October 4th 5th deadline of the window mm. you, know, do, if, you know just in case Dortmund thought wait a minute we're not going to get the money here we've been playing poker and we want to fold for that eventuality that possibility for his manager Wood, Woodward held out um, for that now he, he then got a lot of criticism about well why didn't you just move on you know to other targets we're in a last minute rush for Garani and whoever else it was and I understand all that, but what I'm trying to say is to go back to the money thing. I really think that it is the Glazers who, who set the limits. Now, you know, they take a, they took out a 23 million pound dividend as they always did just recently. It was in the reports. Well, there's your Sancho money. For yeah, example. don't so, don't wind me up, know. Jamie. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. Yeah, I mean that's, yeah. That, that's kind of where I, I am at yeah. with it all. Really, you know, it, is, it has been dysfunctional, and you you want to be positive about it. They're trying to sort it out, but it's still not brilliant. Yeah. Um, for more on, on that, just I love Jamie's writing anyway, he's got a brilliant uh, vocabulary and, and diction. Um, get get his book, The Red Apprentice, that's going to be out this week, um, available on Amazon, the best selling martial arts book. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> he's Anthony not, Martial. <laughs> yeah, he's not about Eric Cantona, but um, <laughs> um, he'll certainly going to be um, one that I'll be reading. Um, fantastic. Um, yeah, so get on that. Uh, let, let's let's talk about the um, games to come this week. Paul Leipzig in the Champions League um, weekly games at the moment, and then Arsenal at the weekend. Another manager who will probably come to Old Trafford, maybe the same as um, Lampard did. Um, difficult week for Ole to know what to do. Does he ring the changes? Van der Beek, Cavani come in for for Leipzig to play the the game there and. Um, and then, then what he does against Arsenal is up in the air as well. Uh, um, what, what do you think on this? I mean, how, how big a week is it for him? 
Oh, it's a, of course it's a, every, I mean, to be honest, I think every game he plays, it's a big game. He just can't afford to lose games of football. Yeah. Because every, everybody's just going to be at him, regardless whether he's going to lose his job. Everyone's going to have an opinion. You'll get more about Manchester United when they lose a game rather than when they win a game. Mm. People, people look for... There's already, already a narrative about him losing that's what they, the aim is to dig him out when they lose when all of a sudden the game at the weekend got a point but everything was negative about it so when he does win even at Newcastle anybody, anybody who had anything decent to say never who, who felt they had to write something didn't really put anything down because they didn't want to to be honest it was just a pet hate about him being in that job so it's important he wins both of them this is a Leipzig is a tough game they're a high-energy team. They're a side that are kind of, you know, who, who build towards moving on players. That's what they go and do. And it's going to be a seriously, seriously tough game, which, he, which if he goes with a, a plodding midfield, as what he had against Chelsea, then he's going to have big, big problems because those players will be shifting the ball a lot, lot quicker than what Chelsea shift the ball around, going from back to front. They pass with, they pass, they look this progressive passing. That's what they do. It's not going from side to side and back. It's they play in a different manner. So this game is going to be a lot harder than PSG. And Arsenal, what do you think? Well, Arsenal is again, it's a, it's a, it's a big game on paper, of course because it's Arsenal. Um, Arsenal are not going to want to lose because they're you know, losing late yesterday. He's not going to want to get beat. Two managers in similar situations, new ex-players of their club. The problem is that the press are very much behind Arteta. Um, so it could be very similar. He, he could go exactly the same as he did against Chelsea and not look to get beat. But... You can't do that twice because I don't think it'll work out for him. I think he's got—he's just got to be more expressive in the way he plays and and try and play like a, a Manchester United team. And that is, you go out to try and win a game, not to contain and hope you can win it, because that doesn't work. Because the moment you go behind, trying to get out of that mode of containing and then go to attack is very very difficult thing to do. And just by slinging on subs late on is no guarantee. Mm-hmm. Jamie, if I, if I could ask you what Paul's mentioned a couple of times there, and I'd be compelled to hear your thoughts on this. The obviously it's a, a thing that's among United fans. I'm sure that you get it because you write about United. You probably get every time you post anything about any game. Um, whenever there's any sort of criticism about Ali, it's like, well, why aren't you criticising uh, Lampard? Why aren't you cri- criticising yes. Arteta? Um, do you agree with... I mean, oh, uh, the, the great Martin Samuel came out with that thing, didn't he, a few years on the Sunday Supplement. He said United are always the, the headline generators, which, yeah, fair enough. But do, do you agree that maybe there's a, a bit of the, the bit of leniency given to the other two and not to Ali? 100%. I mean, one of the reasons why I don't is I just don't cover those clubs, so it doesn't really come across my radar too much. But... You are right. I mean, I looked at that Chelsea team uh, and the way it played on, on Saturday and I just thought, what's going on here, really? I just didn't quite understand. He spent all that money. I understand, of course, they had a transfer embargo, so you could argue they were catching up two windows for the, you know, for the one that they missed. But um, And Arteta, yesterday, had a job done on him, didn't he? He, he got absolutely suckered by Rodgers, who set up to play as if he was going for a stodgy draw. They brought on Vardy when uh, you know, Arsenal had fallen asleep and, and you know, basically got outsmarted because Vardy, Vardy scores the winner. I, I do agree with that. I mean... I kind of mentioned it before that, that United are the... I don't care who you are, what football team you support, you know, even if you don't... In fact, this is the barometer. Even if you don't, like inverted commas, like football or follow it, you know who United are, you know what's going on there because it is bigger in a way than just, you know, its own sort of football village. And, and I think there is a, you know, there, there is a... I don't know if you call it an unfairness there, but that is definitely a factor. I mean, it really is. I mean, it's, you know, the flip side of that is why it's such a... A brilliant club because of all the success and all the stories you know all the footballers there and you know it's why it's brilliant to, to report on and you know I imagine for Paul it was amazing you know amazing club to, to, to play for yeah, um, but yeah you, you're right I mean you know Lampard let's let's take him because you know that's him he just played I'm not too sure uh, where else he's going to go if, if he drops the keeper and you know he gets back in that regard and the money that he spent in the summer and all the rest of it if he doesn't, if they don't challenge. I mean, you look at this league, I think Liverpool, much to be wise after the event, and I certainly said this about City, I think they're both going to struggle comparatively uh, to, to last season. I mean, there's no doubt about it. City are in, you know, a big state of um, flux. They really are, even before all of these injuries we've got. 
They don't. They, I, I watched them when they, I reported on when they beat Arsenal recently, and the way they played. Yeah, listen, it was a nice control performance, but it wasn't the, the same. It's just not the same. Some sort of silver and you know losing losing Sane. So I think it's a big chance for United um, to really actually get up there if they can get. Uh, get their act together, but yeah, I mean, there is, I mean, you know, Solskjaer, there were people at the club there who sort of matter in position of power, they understand, that's kind of why there's this 10%, they always say, I say there's a 10% extra tariff, if you like, on players, S S Sancho's a good example, maybe if it'd been another club, it might have been a, a lower price, so, you know, they, they always say that, how much of that is true every time, I don't know, um, you know, you look at Van der Beek, and that looks like a very good deal, for what looks a very good player, if we're ever actually going to see him starting again, that, that matters, um, but that is part of, you know, you're not the record uh, title winners and you know all the rest of it for, for no reason. It is because of what an amazing club it is and the success. And you know, I, I, I'm lucky enough to follow them around the world when they go on tours. And I'm not exaggerating. It is a little bit how I'd imagine uh, Beatlemania was. Yeah. You know, and I'm talking about in countries where it's not the first choice sport. Um, I actually went to Uganda once with Rio Ferdinand when, when his father was launching a football school, I think in 2007 there. This is Rio Ferdinand, his little, his little party is with his cousins, little old me and some other, I think it was a Sky journalist there. And, you know, from the airport to where we were going, this, this sort of road was lined. You know, that, that's, you know, that's because he's Rio Ferdinand, that's because he plays for United. So it is, it is a global um, you know, phenomenon, really. It's like a multinational... Uh, company, you know, the sort of reach of it and that's yeah. why, you know it's the biggest driver of, of, of traffic on our website, for example, the guys, but, but, but clearly, clearly, Liverpool are a second, as you might um, expect, and then, and then, then the, then the drop-off is massive, forget about Manchester City or any other club coming anywhere near and that is the power of United, with that comes pressure, some of it's deserved and some of it is a little bit over the top, I'd say Yeah, oh, to be fair, Ollie would know that, and as you mentioned earlier, the, the for whatever anyone says about him, the reservations about his ability to do the job, he does have at least a, a relaxed demeanour in that, um, what you mentioned about it being in the press conference, in a way that um, perhaps even Mourinho didn't have, I, I could argue, um, that he, he's a more comfortable um, facing facing the, the press in, in, in the representation of Manchester United. Um Jamie, just to close then on the the big week that's ahead of United. Paul said earlier, nine out of ten people this this season are going to say that Bayern Munich are, are going to win the Champions League. Obviously, you'll be the tenth that says that Manchester United <laughs> will win it, and and that'll start with the the win this week. Um, I listen. It's a cup competition. Blah 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 blah. It's Manchester United. I always give them a chance in any competition. You've got to. That's why I just mentioned there that I think they've got a chance of challenging. A lot of people are going to laugh at that. Maybe Paul will be one of them. You know, for the league, I mean, Premier League. Yeah, I, do, yeah. I, do, I do believe they have got a chance. They've got a chance, a sporting chance. Uh, Champions League, let's wait and see, see how it goes. I, I, I want to see United, with a settled team, win three, four, five, six. It might not happen, but if we can see that, with all the players they've got who maybe aren't getting in, in that side, that settled side, who are bound to be quality because they have got numbers of quality now, you know, I, the, the, that, that's, where, that's where I'm thinking... They may they may have a chance, um, I, you know. I just I look at Liverpool. They lost one guy. Let's wait and see what happens with them. Um, City, as I say, not not so good. Yeah, Bayern Munich are obviously the favourites, but I think that you know the other final place that is up for grabs. So maybe that's a good way of placing. It. They have a chance of making the final, maybe. A bit ambitious. What do you think? Um, we'll see against um, Arsenal at the weekend. Do you expect um, a repeat of the Chelsea game? No. I, I don't know. I mean, that's two two home league games where you haven't been great, really. Spurs and, and then this one. Three. So I'm hoping. Three. Palace. True. Yeah, Palace. Yeah, I was at that one as well. Yeah, God, that was a long time ago now, wasn't it? <laughs> 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 if not, if he can go all the way back to is it West Ham and Southampton at the back end of last season. It never ends. Maybe it's me. Maybe I should just stay at home. But no, I'd like to think. I'd like to think. That you know against Arsenal, with all the things you mentioned there, those duff results and performances, and you know with Van Van der Beek, for some reason I've got a lot of hope that Van der Beek's going to come in and just freshen it up, give him a different sort of option or di dimension with, with Cavani. So again, I'm going to be optimistic and that they're going to beat both Leipzig and Arsenal and have a good week. Look at that. I'm happy with that positivity. <laughs> um, and my glass is three quarters full now after talking to you guys. Um, <laughs> Uh, that's it for this week guys um, obviously as I said earlier get your hands on Jamie's book um, it's out this week um, remember 
TOTD10 for a 10% discount with classic football shirts. If you've enjoyed the show, give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Um, That's it. Take care. And we will be back next week to talk about those two wins, as Jamie boldly predicted. (laughs) 